0: Alright, welcome to part two of a four-part audiobook. If you haven't caught the first part of the four-part audiobook, I would really recommend that before part two. Uh, For those of you counting, there will be two more um, released tomorrow and the day after. Um, If you like this, again, like, share, subscribe. I know it's cliche, but friggin' do it, because it's hard out there, man. And I really think this is a pretty cool project and some other people do too, and they're not all of them related to me, or my friends. So, give it a share and a whatnot. Alright, with that, on to our story. Hobbling through the cauldron with three guns, three bullets, and no horses, Turner shook his head. That doesn't sound lucky to me. Don't forget our two books. One is a journal, Turner snapped, and the other will get us killed. Fay shrugged. Marcus took a risk reading the Hollow Fortress. Might be worth something. Worth a bullet. And here I thought you were being brave, Fay muttered. What's that supposed to mean? Turner let down the saddlebag and sat down on an overturned stonewood stump. The only trees in the Rainbow Cauldron had died long before men settled in Koresh. Acrid-smelling mineral deposits had leached into the prehistoric trees, preserving them for all time as fossilized red-gray columns. Faye squinted up at the sky. It's supposed to mean that you don't know how lucky we got. They could only see a few paces in each direction due to the mist in the air. Beyond that were but vague shapes and shadows. Turner followed her gaze. The sun was up there, somewhere. Even though we're lost? Faye shrugged and sat beside him at a comfortable distance. When you came tearing out of that grove, I thought you were being suicidally brave. I couldn't help but feel obligated to thwart your suicide." "'And what do you think now?' Fay rolled her ankle. She'd twisted the joint falling off her horse, but had only admitted as such after the escape. "'I think you don't know how lucky we got.' "'I don't know about our direction,' Turner muttered. "'But our conversations sure go in circles.' He took in their surroundings. He'd been to the Rainbow Cauldron before. Sediment from the Depression's geysers could be beneficial for fertilizers and hygiene and had the side benefit of forming layers of multicolored stone that almost everyone but Turner found beautiful. Turner couldn't get past the sulfurous stink. Redeemers only start bragging about their kills when they reach the dozens, Fay said. There are stories of entire slave rebellions put down by four or five of the bastards. Stories. Some of those slave rebellions had used the cauldron as refuge. The geysers produced a screen of steam through the massive valley. Turner peered into the clouded air. A sore ankle and a few more cuts? We got off lucky. You're not the one carrying the damn dinette set. That's not what dinette set means. Faye tapped the saddlebag. The contents rang. If we get half the running market price for these platters, it'll net us more money than you can imagine. Split between us, that's a quarter of what I can't imagine. Enough for a train ticket. To where? If I shoot you and keep both halves, it would take me to the capital and back. Turner studied Fay's dark eyes. He could tell she was joking, or thought she was. He looked away. That's where I'm going, if I can. Then we can travel together. What's in the capital for you? Ulgrad is the center. It's the place where things matter, Fay grinned. The only other options are south, in Duscany. Turner shivered. That's no option at all. Koresh's history was the history of Uluk and Duscany. The Isthmus had the debatably happy fate of bridging the continent owned by the Uluk Republic and the continent dominated by the Federated States of Duscany. The only reason Koresh had felt able to stand up to the Uluk was the hope of support from Duscany. I hear that some of their states are quite enlightened, Fay said, and some practice child sacrifice. States can do as they please so long as they pay taxes, that's why Koresh wanted to become one. What's Ilgrad for you? It's where my father is. Faye opened her mouth to say something, then stopped. Perhaps she was done mocking his parentage. Faye was, herself, an orphan. Her jibes likely came from a place of pain. He took a deep breath and stood. There were old cave systems at the east edge of the cauldron, where the slave rebels stayed few hours sleep and we could try and slip into town at night. Fay stood, her jaw clenched. Like peasants? she asked. Turner frowned. What does that mean? I mean that we're a couple of long hairs, Fay said. She started toward one of the striped stone bridges that crisscrossed the cauldron's shallow pools. Turner collected himself and followed. Again, what does that mean? It means, said Fay. That if you and I enter at night, we'll look like indebted serfs tied to our master's land. If we enter at day, we'll look like, well, like everybody else. Tell me more about this transforming power of the sun. I know how the better classes act, Faye said. I've been feeding them for years. Until last night, Turner thought. He gritted his teeth. Faye had known something about Smoker's plot. She looked surprised, but not too surprised to see Dia Eve's corpse still Faye had saved turner's life he owed her more than to abandon her in a volcanically active wasteland but not much more he thought how would the better classes escape this blasted valley turner asked they wouldn't have come in the first place Fay said she looked back at turner and grinned unless they were running from something nobles don't need to run from anything you read that in your books yeah Fay laughed Just remember who writes those books, dear Farm Boy? They didn't speak much as they wandered through the valley. Turner thought about his mother's book. He could feel its shape pressing against his back through the skin of the saddlebag. There was a book not written by nobles. Sophia had kept its contents hidden not only out of fear of the Redeemers. There were secrets in that book, secrets kept from her only child. Some part of Turner wanted to sit down right there in the middle of the mist and read. We're almost there, Fay said. Turner frowned. How can you tell? We've been going up and down, Fay said. But mostly up. What if we're on the wrong side of the depression? Fay held up a circular disk. Compass, she said. Found it on the Redeemer. Turner groaned. Why'd you let me worry about our direction? I did tell you, Fay said. I told you we got lucky. Chapter 10 It was a night with no sky. Turner stared down at his mother's journal. He couldn't read her secrets tonight for all his desire to do so. Faye had gone to sleep within minutes of reaching the cave. she had apparently been awake since midnight when she had heard Turner and Smoker's fight. All her preparations, her horses, her guns, and even her escape plan, had been ruined in the encounter with the Redeemer. Yet, in sleep, she was the picture of serenity. Turner laid his head down on his mother's book. He stared up at the cave's sloped roof. He wished that the runaway slaves had left writings or paintings on these cave walls. Of course, that would have revealed their lair. Turner closed his eyes. How strange, he thought. How present danger left one unable to consider the future. He dreamed. There was little sense in his dream, yet he had senses. Images and the ghosts of noise flashed around him. He saw things he'd never seen. A cave. Towers of the capital. Somebody slid a huge fishing hook between the bones of Turner's forearm. And it wasn't Smoker, it was Dia Eve, and she was trapped in a cage. Turner pulled away. Dia Eve kept hold of the hook so that she was pressed up against the grate of the cage, and the cage lacerated her all up and down her body. And Turner kept pulling until Dia Eve was bleeding all up and down her corpse. Stone. Stone roots. Stone roots of a towering stone tree where there was a fortress, sharp and dark, and how fire felt, but cold. He woke with a hand pressed tight over his lips. Turner did not struggle as he blinked the clouds from his eyes. The girl the town folk called Faces was leaning over Turner, her finger pressed against her lips in a gesture of silence. Two weary voices. "'Justice!' a peasant voice interrupted the other speaker. Well, they shouldn't call it that. We don't know where these people go. Justice need not be, as a rule, restorative. The second voice was that of a gentleman. Strange, Turner thought. Peasant and middle classes usually didn't mix in the discussion of philosophy and politics. Maybe. Or maybe it's like when the chattel were first taken. Maybe there's a war going on and the peasants are the spoils. The world has moved on from that sorry chapter. One can squeeze more out of a debtor than one could ever beat out of a slave. Turner was finally able to place the voices. The words debtor and chattel marked these two speakers as catalysts. Catalyst jargon was full of obscure terms for groups and classes of people. Classes that had to be accepted as fact before one accepted the catalyst ideology of class warfare. Why do you talk about us like livestock? An apt metaphor. Before they carve chattel for meat. Now we cage the debtors and milk them each sunrise. Turner frowned. There was something familiar about that voice. Well, while your people think up metaphors, mine are disappearing by the dozen. Your people, my people, the gentleman scoffed. We must find that book or all people will be no people. Then help your people find our cash. Even in the darkness, Turner saw Fay's eyes widen. She let her hand off of Turner's mouth and gestured for Turner to rise. Flickers of lamplight rounded the cave wall ahead. Turner's hand went to his gun. She pulled him behind a rock that could only charitably be called a boulder, just before the light fell on the place where they'd been sleeping. The pair hugged the dark side of their stone as the lamplight danced. Pressed together, Turner could feel Faye's deep, slow breathing. He felt an odd tickle in the back of his throat, and he swallowed spit to keep from coughing. Their saddlebag was hidden behind another rock, and they might stay hidden if they played their cards right. But justice has another meaning, bloodmate. The gentleman emphasized the catalyst term of brotherhood, as if to note the danger of a gentleman cavorting with a peasant. Yes, many a slave song I've heard has got justice as its object. You mean damnation? It comforts some to think that oppressors are punished after life. Such punishment comes too late, I reckon. What's so important about this damn book, anyway? It tells the true story of Luke, and how he coated half the world in clouds. How all of our megafauna are the result of one man's desire to preserve the earth from man. Isn't that the illegal scripture? Only because it disagrees with the legal one. Look, said the peasant. Turner held his breath. The room grew brighter as the catalyst came closer. The lantern light focused in on the saddlebag. Turner moved his lips in a silent curse. What is that? Ah, sod it, cursed the peasant. Saddlebag, somebody's here. Perhaps the bag was abandoned. Only a rich man could imagine that. The speaker paused. In the silence, there was a noise like a clicking latch. Me? I imagine they're behind that stone. Turner heard another clicking noise right beside him. He looked over to see Fay thumbing back the hammers on her revolvers. And they've got at least two guns, chuckled the peasant. How long have you been listening? Faye spoke with apparent confidence. We haven't seen your faces. And you won't, said the peasant. The gentleman made a tutting noise. Come now, there's no need. Head back to the surface, said the peasant. If they saw you, I'd have to do something. I'd prefer not to. Ah, said the gentleman. Turner heard the click of well cobbled shoes scampering back up the tunnel. The peasant waited for the sound to fade before speaking. What's in that bag? Fay responded with unconvincing candor. Things that are mine. And what things are yours? Only what we need to live, Fay replied. We? The peasant chuckled. I only need one of we for questioning. Who will it be? Maybe the others have a drop on you. Maybe if my boys hear gunshots, they'll smoke out the cave. As if you have boys. Besides, do you really think these imaginary bloodmates would abandon you? I'm just a foot soldier for the cause. Think of choking to death on fumes knowing that your only escape is guarded by 20 gunmen. Turner laughed. The peasant laughed along. Two people, then, unless I've been talking to a boy whose balls just dropped. You wouldn't hide your cash in a cave with one opening, Turner said. You wouldn't bring your well-heeled friend into a dead end, either. Maybe i guard both exits." Turner's heart sank, but Faye grinned. Maybe, she said, maybe. A silence followed. I'll let you go out the back, muttered the peasant. But you leave behind whatever's in that bag. You've only got one gun, Fay said. She elbowed Turner. We've got three. It took Turner a few seconds before he figured out how to cock his gun without firing it. The sound was all that was needed. How's this? Fay said. We each go our separate ways and pretend that nothing happened down here." The peasant coughed. I get half of what's in the bag. ''Do you want us to steal your cash?'' Faye asked. ''You don't know what's in it?'' ''And you don't know what's in mine?'' ''Half. We'll leave your half at the back entrance when we're safely out of the cave.'' ''Deal.'' Turner spoke without thinking. ''What happens to the people who disappear?'' There was a silence before the peasant chuckled. (laughs) <laughs> if you want to know that, he said, you'll have to follow them. How? The same way you follow anyone. Patterns. The man cleared his throat. You could join up with us. We're out there looking for patterns. Turner considered the possibility, but not for long. I don't think I can trust you just yet. Understandable. We're going, Fay said. If we see you, we'll shoot. Trust me, said the peasant. I don't like to be seen. The lantern light began to fade. As it rounded the corner, it left the room darker than it had before. Faye scrambled across the pitch-black floor and took up the bag. She rose to her feet and winced. Turner took the bag from her shoulder. They pawed their way to the side of the cave opposite from the main entrance. After a few false leads, they managed to find a tunnel that led to starlight. The back entrance opened at the base of a cliff. The pair stumbled onto a grass hill, leading down into a thick forest. Turner began to take off the bag. Half, Turner said. Not a bad deal. Faye stopped him. You're kidding, right? Turner frowned. We promised. They were catalysts and we know about their hideout. She gestured to the forest ahead of them. Twenty meters to the edge of that thing. We've got to go. But we made a deal. It's okay to rob a robber, Faye said. That's justice. Turner looked down at the bag. He'd carried this thing for a day and a half. He deserved to keep it. Fay ran down the slope. Turner followed. He didn't know if robbing robbers was justice, but it felt unsafe. Chapter 10. I may have called another one chapter 10, but this one is actually chapter 10. Fay groaned as they neared lane Junction. This isn't how I wanted to get here. Ah, Turner said. And here I thought you'd planned all that out. The tinge of blue in the sky told of a near sunrise. In half an hour, they'd be walking the streets of this village in broad daylight with a bag full of pilfered silver. Things weren't all bad, they still had the silver, and if one wanted to sell stolen goods, one could do worse than Elaine. The village had a population of 1,500, small by Republic standards. It had been smaller during the rebellion, but even then it had been the most cosmopolitan center in the district. Only one in five Main Street buildings were made of brick, and the tallest of these was overshadowed by the temple's three-story minaret. Look at it, Turner said. No wonder they lost the war. Did they lose? Fay asked. You should let them know. Turner grabbed the saddlebag tighter. It wasn't so much that the war was a sore subject so much as an incomplete one. Yes, the Kirash was still part of the Republic, Yet much of what had sparked the war had remained unchanged, especially, so far as Turner was concerned, the residual hatred toward former slaves. Fay led Turner toward a cross street near the edge of town. Here's how we play it. I'm a master, and you're my servant. You were born a slave. I've been free since birth. You don't act like it. I'm not the one who's branded. Turner regretted those words the second they left his mouth. Fay gave an unexpected smile. Not on your skin, you don't. Turner frowned, not sure of Fay's meaning, but sure of her derision. He felt he deserved it for bringing up Fay's brand. The scars were burned into her upper thigh, a precaution against runaways and impostors. What about after we sell this silver? Turner asked. Where are you going, and why? One step at a time, dear farm boy. Hide your gun in the sack, Turner did as he was told. It wasn't illegal for a peasant to own a gun, but just because something was legal didn't make it wise. "'Act like a pack animal,' Fay said. "'The lowlier you seem, the more cultured I appear.'" Turner's face burned. As they walked, however, Turner realized that he had the superior position. He could stare and gawk as much as he pleased. He was expected to. The carts and carriages clambering on the roads ahead moved like army ants, diligent, purposeful. There were shops here for clothing and feed, though Turner knew that the shopkeepers knew less about weaving and growing than he did. Do you think this is where Smoker found the night harvest? The poison? Fay shrugged. I wouldn't ask anyone; might make them a tiny bit suspicious. I hear it's sold as rat poison, which is why you can only buy small doses—only enough to make someone sick, not kill them. Fay spotted a driver atop a empty horse-drawn wagon she waved at him and nearly put herself in his way. The driver slowed, then stopped with a, Yes, miss? The boy and I require a ride into town. Faye was using a gentlewoman's dialect. For some ungodly reason, it was considered high class to make one sentence slightly obtuse. Dia Eve especially had a roundabout way of getting to the point of anything. Oh, but- It'll be no trouble, Faye said. She was already climbing up into the driver's bench. It's not a shame to be seated next to you, and the back will do for the boy. The driver opened his mouth, then closed it. He nodded to Turner. Turner nodded back and jumped into the bed of the wagon with his silver. They moved into the main streets. Turner looked idly around, wondering what Faye was up to. He understood how she'd done it. Gentlefolk looked the same as peasants, but they didn't act the same. Faye had asked for what she wanted. She had expected to get it. The concept was foreign to most peasants, and anathema to former slaves. Faye directed the driver until they arrived at the arcade. The structure was a long roof held aloft by arches of brick. As Turner and Faye disembarked, Faye shouted back orders at the driver. Go and get those potatoes, boy! Time is wasting! Turner could barely keep up as she plunged ahead into the long, frantic market. The arcade reportedly housed different shops every day of the week. To the left, dazzles of flowers. To the right, a man engraving pictures in cured leather. It all seemed rather useless to Turner. What do we need potatoes for? Turner asked. We didn't, but he did. Fay motioned for Turner to remain silent. Turner finally understood Fay's intentions. The goal hadn't been to fool the driver. Rather, by fooling the driver, Fay had assured a high class arrival to the market. Turner whispered the old temple proverb to himself. A poor man has two feet, a rich man has many more. Faye perused each stall as they passed, as if seriously considering each product. She'd been right. Just because slavery was illegal didn't mean it was gone. It wasn't that the driver had wanted to give them a ride. Rather, the driver had feared the consequences of angering a gentlewoman more than he feared a few minutes' inconvenience. Turner looked at the market with new eyes. Most folk here were gentlefolk the few peasants were like Turner, bag handlers with downcast eyes. And in surveying the crowd, Turner's eyes fell upon the reason why no peasant would come here of his own volition. A black-clad sheriff stood on a waist-high raised platform. He looked half a statue, staring down at the crowd below him through wing-like mutton chops. Near him sat a metal bucket which read, Support the law! As Turner watched, the man in a bowler hat dropped a handful of coins into the bucket. As the bucket rang, a few passerby cheered. Lawmen were paid by the government. Redeemers, however, could only operate due to the largesse of donors. But if the offering basket was a sign of the gentlefolk's hostility toward peasants, what lay beyond was a sign of their rage. The cages on the raised platform were the size of small closets. There were a dozen stacked in a row, each out of an arm's reach from the other, They'd been built to house slaves back when the arcade had been a market for the buying and selling of human beings. The Republic Army had repurposed the slave cages. They'd imprisoned Kirish insurgents in those tight iron bars during the occupation. Turner wished that the Army hadn't given Elaine Junction the idea. Three of the cages were in use. The occupied cages were topped by chalkboards detailing the occupants' alleged crime. Peasant. Rapist. Red One. Peasant. Thief. Dead Dodger read another. The debt-dodging and the theft, Turner guessed, were two counts for the same crime. The third man was pressed up against his bars, seemingly in sleep. The word written on his chalkboard didn't sound like a crime. "'Fence?' Turner read. "'Did he commit some crime against fences?' Faye stopped in her tracks. She looked back at Turner. "'What did you say?' He pointed to the far cage. "'That man. He's labeled Fence.' Fay looked at the prisoners for the first time. Gentlewomen weren't supposed to notice peasants, especially when they were caged. Huh, Turner said. He's not labeled peasant, either. Wonder who he is. For a moment, panic replaced Fay's mask of dismissive calm. He's the man we came to see, she said. That man in the cage was our ticket to freedom. Chapter 11 Don't let him see you, Turner whispered. Fay answered as if from a daze. What? He might rat you out, Turner said. Fay knew how to be a gentlewoman. Turner knew what a desperate man might do. He might have already given up your name. Fay coughed and collected herself. Right. She turned away from the man in the cage and kept walking. Sod it. Sod it all. Does he know your name? Fay shook her head. Nor I his. An alias, that's all. They came to a long bench. Fay sat down like someone who'd been in the fields all day. Her exhaustion had nothing to do with labor. Turner watched Fay, who watched the cobblestones beneath her feet. His mind raced. This had all been Fay's plan, a flawed plan to be sure, but better than no plan. The loss of that plan made Turner want to sink down onto the bench beside her. Wait, Turner said. What? Fay looked up. She looked hungry. It put Turner in mind of an old temple proverb. A fish takes the hook, for the worm, it went. The fence doesn't know me, Turner said. So? I know how to get him out. Fay gave a sharp, humorless laugh. <laughs> right. It'll cost us, Turner said. Strangely, the acknowledgement of cost softened Faye's doubt. Cost is what? she asked. One of the platters, Turner said. He paused. No, two. That's... Fay looked up the bag. We have five, and that's... two-fifths, yes. Shut up. Fay met his eyes and frowned. You can't pay his bail with stolen silver. Even I'm not that stupid. Turner knelt down and laid the bag on the cobblestones. It's not the fact that they're silver that's important. It's that they're stolen. I don't follow. One step at a time. Turner grinned. Trust me, if I fail, we keep the platters and all the danger that comes with it." They stared at one another for a long moment. Fay didn't have to say yes. It was enough that she didn't say no. Turner walked toward the raised platform. It felt like he was floating on a cloud of static. He tried to remember all the times he'd pretended to be high class. He'd often rehearsed both high and middle oluk in private. That was Dia Eve's language, after all. It was the language he'd spoken to her when he'd had the chance, and it was the language he might have spoken had he risen high enough to marry her. The sheriff's voice boomed down as Turner approached. "'You bring a poor dish, sir?' Most empty dishes are poor, Turner responded. He tilted his head back and tried on a smirk he'd seen gentlemen use. He held up both platters. "'These, however, cost what they look like they cost.' "'My, my,' said the sheriff. He got down on his fat haunches, his mutton chops waddling. I usually look askance at an empty dish, but today I am soliciting. Interesting, Turner thought, holding riches in parts of class all its own. He stacked the platters and raised his right hand, palm out. The sheriff returned the gesture with a massive black-gloved hand. The greeting salute felt rare and awkward to Turner, but the sheriff didn't seem to notice. Turner nodded toward the fence. That fellow... It's come to my attention that he was selling stolen wares. The Sheriff sneered. There'd be no thieves without fences, I promise you. That foreign class trader can rot beside his sodded brothers. Turner nodded his head. Raping, thieving. All my life, that seems all the savages are up to. The Sheriff tapped the bucket at his feet. This bucket says support the law the Sheriff lowered his voice. Sometimes you've got to break one law to uphold another." Turner shook his head in self-pity. There's my dilemma, you see. I met that half-savage over there two days a past. He nodded to the fence again. And, well, I'm afraid that I was won over by those priceless silvers. That the silvers even had a price should have tipped me off. Stolen, I reckon? The sheriff shrugged. Such things happen you'll be relieved to know that you are on the friendly end of the law. Despite their possibly nefarious origin, you cannot be prosecuted for unknowingly purchasing these silvers, you called them? A funny name for plates. Turner blushed despite himself. He'd slipped in a peasant word. You blush, sir, said the sheriff. Embarrassed men do such things, Turner muttered. Though I know my innocence before the law. I cannot help but feel responsible, not only for that man in the cage, but for the men in all three cages, for I have, though unintentionally, funded their debauchery. The sheriff's grin went to his eyes. How can I be of service? Turner nodded to the man in the cage. This man is no good to you in the fields. That's peasant work. If you release him, however, the restitution of my conscience would be assured. How so? I would break one law to uphold another, and you'd hear from him no more. Turner laid the silver platters beside the donation bucket. What say you? One gift for another? The sheriff's eyes sparkled with greed. Chapter 12 Nightbreaker prayers rang out from the temple. The priest's song was soft and sweet. Turner could not have discerned the words had he not heard them before. What is a man but a grain of sand? What is he but dew and dust? Of such things the world is made. What is the world but us?" Sod, Fay whispered. I'm glad this is the prayer we sleep through. The two were situated in a storehouse near the train station. Fay had assisted on staying away from the rendezvous until the time of the exchange. The prayers started, Turner said. Still no sign of redeemers. Wait until the blessed silence, Fay replied. As if to spite her, the prayers went on. What is a man, when buried in land, where is he when breath is lost? Of such wind is man's breath made, blowing, waving, tossed. Say not that breath is lost, but on the wind and elsewhere crossed. Turner peered across the town square. The temple was directly across the square from the prison. He'd arranged to meet with the sheriff just before dawn, and dawn was only a few stanzas away. Let's say we are all born on the air when we die. Why don't the priests save their breath? Fay sounded more nervous than Turner felt and he felt pretty nervous. They want us to have hope, Turner said. They want us to know that we live again once we die. What is a man but another man? Who is he when he is born? Death is night. Birth, the morn. The harder one works in this life, the better one's next life. Faye's eyes flashed in the darkness. Don't you see? Nobles earn their privilege before they were even born, just as slaves earn their life of torture. Turner shrugged. What else but magic could explain the unfairness of life? Evil? There's magic. What about the southern hemisphere? The whole half of the globe is toxic to human life, but animals come and go just fine. Stories. What about the hearthfall? Lightning that disappears people seems supernatural enough to me. Faye rolled her eyes. That's not what the Hollow Fortress says. Turner frowned. What does it say? I don't know. Smoker told me a few things, but... It's not safe to go believing what Smoker told me." A drum sounded. Night. Birth again the morn. Birth again the morn. That's the end, Turner said. You're sure he bought your Dia farm boy act? Yes, Turner said, his heart warmed with pride. Perhaps all his cleverness and nobility would lead him to glory in the next life. Perhaps his soul was a good one, refined by lives all down the ages. Perhaps he hoped he might meet Dia Eve, if not in this life and the next. Two figures began moving at the steps of the jailhouse. One figure frog-marched the other, away from the center of the square and toward the train station. The man in the prisoner's outfit had a black hood over his head. Turner grinned. Yes, he repeated. Look. First light broke over the day. Birds sang and homes began to come alive with the sound of waking. There were drums and horns from the top of the temple's minaret, and amid the call to work, the runaways ran. The pair were light on their feet. Most of their belongings were stored under a rubbish bin near the train depot. If all went according to plan, they'd be able to exchange the rest of their silver for currency, their currency for train tickets, and their train tickets for freedom, all within the space of an hour. If things went haywire, the treasure would be out of harm's way. The sheriff and his prisoner reached the gas lamp quarter. Here, men worked through the night, carefully packing and unpacking the storage cars of the morning train. Here, the workman's breath misted like steam from a locomotive. Under the lamps, Turner could make out the prisoner's rope handcuffs. It's him, Turner said. What was his name again? doesn't matter. It does, if I want to pretend I know him. Hassan Kur. Face slowed as they approached the light of the lamps. I have a bad feeling we aren't even going to make it to that part. What part? The part where you pretend to be a gentleman. Faye grinned. Though, I wonder if that prospect doesn't scare me even more. They were now moving at a natural walking pace. If the sheriff had noticed he was being followed, he hadn't shown it. The narrow road ahead was lined on either side by ditches, so that they could be reasonably sure that the sheriff was headed directly towards their requested meeting place, behind the brick roadhouse. Damnation, Fay whispered. I refuse to believe that this is working. Turner scoffed. He refused to hope. I found that hope precludes action and by action you mean murder. Instead of arguing, Fay placed a hand on Turner's chest. She pushed, sending Turner off the path and into a ditch. She clambered over him, and Turner raised his hands to keep Fay from hitting him. When no further attack came, Turner looked up to find Fay peering over the lip of the ditch. What is it? Turner whispered. You didn't fool the sheriff, Fay said, but the sheriff didn't fool me. Turner scrambled on hands and knees until he could see the sheriff. What's wrong? That's not Hassan. The sheriff is bringing us the wrong man. How can you tell in this darkness? Hassan Kur is left-handed. Fay spat on the dirt. He wouldn't hide a gun up his left sleeve. The prisoner has a gun. Yeah, Fay said that was also a giveaway. Turner squinted. How can you spot that in a man's sleeve? I've tried it before. Fay shoved Turner again. This time, it had nothing to do with his safety. I told you. You wasted almost half our treasure on nothing. Not nothing, Turner snapped. If that's not Hassan, where is he? Faye met his eyes. The two understood each other immediately. They raced back toward the public square. When they reached the square, it was already busy with shopkeepers. Women were lined up for water from the public pump, obscuring the entrance to the sheriff's station. Turner followed Faye as she scrambled through the line and barreled right into the jailhouse. There were only two cells. The two peasants were sleeping in one cell, and the fence paced inside the other. He looked up. The sun flashed over his thick, round spectacles, as his lips turned up in a smile. Ah, he said. I thought that I recognized. Save your heir, Faye hissed. She raised her gun to the lock on Hassan's cage. Stand. Please, wait, hissed the fence. Hassan Kur had an accent in a name that told of the refined Southern Isles, though Turner couldn't place his country. He pointed to the far wall, if you'd rather avoid the noise, Turner followed the man's gesture. He almost laughed. The safe in the prison was almost identical to the one in Dia Marcus's home. "What's in there?" he asked. "Whatever it is, it's not much use to us out here," Fay added. "The combination is 131627." Hassan's voice carried a note of pride. "I should know. I sold in the safe." Turner set to work. As he spun the dial, he heard the other prisoners wake. "Who Hush, Fay said. They have come to set me free, Hassan whispered. One of the prisoners laughed. What did they want with you, sunburn? Did you cheat them too? Hassan made a tutting noise. Now, now, Donovan. You see what sort of trouble turning me in did you last time? They promised I'd get my money back. To be fair, Hassan replied. They gave you the exact wages of theft. The safe clicked open beneath Turner's fingers. He threw open the door in triumph. Damnation, Turner gawked. The safe contained four repeater carbines of the same caliber as his revolver. There were racks for three more, but Turner tried not to think of where those guns might be. At the bottom of the safe were enough cartridge boxes to solve their ammunition troubles, five times over. Don't get ideas, Fay said. A gun we can't hide is a gun we'll have to use, Turner nodded. He located the keys beneath the heavy cartridge box. In a few moments, they had the prison doors open, and their revolvers reloaded. Hassan gave a pained grin to the two peasants. Donovan, I trust we can put our paths behind us, to a common benefit. For now, said the peasant. Turner hadn't noticed how tall the man was until he was free of his cage. He turned his large, dark eyes toward Faye. What's the plan, girl? We get out of town. How? With Hassan's money, she said. The sound that came from Donovan's mouth was so pained that it barely resembled laughter. (laughs) Ha! he said (laughs) what's funny Fay asked donovan turned toward hassan his laugh growing colder by the minute all of hassan's money is he looked back at the other prisoner what did he say duncan the wages of theft said the man named duncan yeah donovan muttered that yes hassan said i am unfortunately completely broke Turner watched, astonished, as Duncan walked back into the jail cell and closed the door behind him. If you live long enough, he muttered, tell them we were model prisoners. CHAPTER thirteen. They made it three blocks before Fay started laughing. Turner looked back at the girl. Why everyone's so sodding and giggly today? It is laughing, said Hassan. Because I just convinced those brutes to lock themselves back in their cage. Hassan Kur cool without money, Fay said. She kept the party on a swift pace toward the train depot. Damnation, why'd you have to tell such a joke when I had to keep a straight face? But why did they think it was true? Because I told everyone who listened, Hassan said. The man looked like he barely had enough muscle to keep his bones stuck together. I told Donovan I was broke, so it would lower his prices. I told Duncan I was broke because I didn't want to foot its bill. Sheriff Tompkins is, then, simply simple... Fay knows better. Why? Because I know him too well, Fay said. Every time I come by, Mr. Coor has got some sob story about how he can't afford what he ends up paying me. You would be surprised how many people trust the word of a criminal. Hassan was sweating despite the cold, and kept having to readjust his thick spectacles. That said, I am guessing my days in Elaine Junction are numbered. And that number is zero. Fay slid to a halt where they stashed the platters. Take your money and let's get out of here. Not that I am complaining, but why not get out of here with your own money? We are what you claim to be, Fay tossed the saddlebag into Turner's chest. Turner was glad to find the book and the plates intact. No cash, Hassan marveled. Are you without skin or teeth as well? With a sigh, the thin figure led the companions toward a water station down the tracks from the train depot. Where would we get cash but from you? They reached the water station. It was a large reservoir, hoisted high above their heads on three wooden stilts. Turner knew that the steam engines required steam, but he'd never thought about where that steam came from. You could have taken it from Diamarcus, Hassan panted. Turner suddenly realized how tired he was. What use would Diamarcus have for cash? He asked. Diaz worked with accounts too large to be expressed in bills, and often found the sight of money-changing hands as mercenary and unsophisticated. Hassan shrugged. Marcus Knight need to pay its workers, I suppose. That gave all three a chuckle. Hassan Kor walked toward one of the wooden posts. He stooped down and knocked on the wood until his knuckles came upon a hollow sound. Have one of you a knife? Faye had a blade out in Hassan's hand before Turner could answer no. The girl continued to surprise. The Southerner turned the blade on the post and began to pry it. An innocuous looking wood grain. So, he muttered, you've brought guns and knives and valuables. Have you finally done the fide dog bastard in? fake glanced at Turner, but kept silence. Ah, said Hassan. Run away with your Monse, no? Has it gotten you pregnant? No, Fay snapped. And it's not a Monse in the slightest. And it, Turner muttered, is a he, thank you. Dened, apologies. On my island, man and woman, she and he mean something different than they do in Uluk. At that, a curved section of wood popped away from the post. Bills of all denominations fluttered to the ground like leaves. Turner looked inside the hidden compartment. Along with more bills, he saw a small clock and a coin necklace. Uluk coins had a hole in their center, both for easy storage and for stacking on coin-counting pegs. It was more hard currency than Turner had ever seen in his life. "'Doesn't that weaken the water tower?' Fay asked. She looked up, suddenly nervous. Hassan pulled the clock from the compartment. "Ernsway, darling, have faith.' He began to wind the watch. "'What time is it?' Turner and Fay looked at one another and shrugged. "'Well,' Hassan groaned. "'When you haven't money, you haven't time, I suppose.' He gave the watch one last crank and placed it back inside the post. "'I will have to eyeball it, darlings. To the train.' The train to Ulgrad consisted of five ugly boxcars and three elegant passenger cars. At their head was a monstrous tangle of iron, a post-war steam locomotive labeled the Northern Star. There is no Fide Northern Star, Hassan whispered. He stared down at the tickets he'd purchase. Dog gentle snow monkeys, I cannot believe that I'm going to darkest Ulgrad. You will, if you're lucky. Fay had her eyes on the swivel. I'm stunned that we haven't had a shootout with the sheriff yet. If he knows that hassan's gone turner whispered he couldn't possibly imagine us being so stupid as to take the passenger train turner hugged the saddlebag to his chest as they boarded the last passenger car he'd never ridden a train before the novelty was somehow overshadowed by the death and battle of the last few days it had been a week of many firsts if i were the sheriff hassan said i would let hassan escape and save myself the embarrassment but then perhaps I would not, not being, tragically, Hassan. The passenger cars were at the rear of the train, distance from the engine's noise and stench. Though the cars were not officially segregated into classes, it was understood that low-class persons sat furthest back on the train. Fay picked seats at the very back. Easier to escape, she noticed. Escape into what? Turner asked. We'd be stranded in the Kirash Mountains with three platters. And in my case, Hassan muttered, It is better to sit in the back voluntarily than be encouraged to do so. Turner watched as the rest of the passengers boarded. It was true that most were dressed in better clothing than Turner and carried better bags. He grinned. This is amazing. I can travel and read my book at the same time. Hassan and Faye shared a grin that Turner couldn't read. It was only after the train rumbled to life and pulled away from the station that they heard the slightest hint of trouble. It started with one of the passengers pointing out of the port side window. Soon, men and women were gathering to the windows, pressing their hands to their mouths or lifting them in prayer. Turner was unable to see the cause of the commotion until it passed right by his window. The leg of the water tower nearest the rails was wreathed by flame. How long do you think it will hold up? Fay asked. Considering the very unsafe hollow inside of the post, Hassan made a show of counting on his fingers. Perhaps... Seconds after the train car passed, the post buckled and bent. The huge steel drum of water came crashing down onto the tracks. The boom rang all up and down the train and... and Turner saw a section of rail buckle. Perhaps, Turner said, you should have given that watch another turn. Chapter 14 Turner could not get to his book fast enough. He placed the clasp against his chair, then smacked the book with his fist. The hinge broke in one hit. His hand ached, but... That just brought his hand in line with the rest of his body. These days had been the worst of his life, so far as he could remember. They were also the most heightened. Each thought, each memory from the past day could be picked out, mulled over, almost endless in their time and fascination. It reminded him of books. Opening the front cover, Turner saw what he'd only glimpsed before. A crude, weathered sketch of a man in grey armor. Behind him, hunched over and snarling toward the viewer, was a wolf the size of a draft horse. His father, the wolf rider. Boy, Sophia wrote, I'm sorry it's taken you this long to go snooping in my things. I will start with the few items you're probably wondering about so as not to leave you in suspense. No, the rumors aren't true. Not concerning myself, in any case. What your father and I had was wanted and desired on both our parts, fools that we were. I've probably told you those words many times, but I hope that, written here, you could know those words to be true. Yes, many Republic soldiers acted less than nobly during the war. Your father was not one of them. Your father is named Jack Switch. He was an Ephractos, which you and I would call a knight with a badge number 45817. He was captured 8 4 by Red Crassus and left for dead outside the Bonneville Prisoner of War Camp. If you wish to track down Jack Switch, these are things you will want to know. Boy, Sophia wrote, there are many reasons I kept this from you, the chief of which is that Jack Switch does not know or have any reason to know that you exist. Turner was nearly sick. The flood of information some suspected, some entirely new, turned over and over in his head. He began taking deep breaths. He closed his eyes. I knew it, Fay said to Hassan. Hassan pointed to Turner, then pointed out of the window. Look outside. Your eyes see one thing and your body feels another. The mismatch makes you ill." Turner shook his head. It did nothing to clear his malady. He looked out the window and watched the world pass by. There was no telegraph on the train, and very little need to fear a chase until they reached the next station. Despite his swimming guts, Turner had to marvel at the train's speed. The world passed by like an unfurling scroll, as fast as a horse could gallop and untiring. The cliffs to his right, the eddying stream to his left, the billows of steam twisting over and shadowing over all. It felt wrong to read this book, yet he had to. Jack, Jack, switch. Jack doesn't know about me, Turner thought. I'm not abandoned, and said, I'm unknown. Why? Turner looked down at his hand. Calloused and rough, his hand bore the work of years and the trauma of the past few evenings. This hand could have been soft and fresh. This body could have grown in an Ulgrad, nurtured rather than weathered. This thing that I am. He looked back to the book. He hated it. He wanted to disbelieve. He read on. Please do not look for Jack Switch until you have forgiven him. Please do not disturb his life. You will regret it until you die. You do not know the labor with which I brought you up in the world. I would not mention it, except that I want you to know the effort it has taken to make you anything other than hateful. I would see you dead before I saw you become hateful, and hating one man leads to more and more hate, and there's too much hate in the world for me to add to it. I found your father rotting in a ditch outside of Camp Bonneville. I used to go there every so often in the evenings to steal clothing and other secret items off of corpses, for those were times of hunger for everyone from gentlefolk on down. There were flies going in and out of this man's mouth when I found him. smelled like a forest smells when the leaves fall and rot it was the dead of night and i would not have known he was alive except that when i laid my hand on him i was set upon almost every predator that can be found is found on the southeastern continent of bois spawned in the impassable petricide mists it's said that all beasts come from the southern half of this world and that one day man will roll back those storms and subdue the earth don't believe it in the North, there are beasts that have survived all the worst storms and men. In the North, there are wolves. Please do not look for Jack Switch until you have forgiven him. For if you fight him, you will fight something beyond you. I had begun to unstrap the stinking man's suspenders because I thought him dead. I then found myself pinned back against the ground with what felt like a massive stone pressed down on my chest. Wolves are not like the great cats. Wolves live in the gray. Wolves understand that more can be gained from nature than killing and being killed. So the great wolf pressed its paw down on me, bared its teeth at me, huffed great breaths into its snout that I felt would suck me in. My scent must have betrayed my helpless terror. It knew I was no threat and felt no need to kill me. It padded back into the ditch. The great wolves hunt at night, as they were built to hunt men in the ages of gunpowder. The wolf did not sniff the man in the ditch, it only stared at the corpse, or what I had thought to be a corpse, until it lifted its hand and caressed the wolf's large snout. I can still remember the first words I heard from your father, because they were the first time I think I loved a man. Godmother, he said, it is good that you waited, but I must go, and so must you. I nursed the man back to health. It was dangerous to do so under my mother's roof, under the nose of Diamarcus, but that danger was enlivening and made the enterprise that much nobler. We comforted ourselves with the knowledge of Godmother the wolf, pacing patiently in the woods and fog, ready to defend or avenge her master as need be. This man that came south to free the slaves began to heal, and as he grew stronger, I grew infatuated, and more distant. He noted my withdrawal. He understood. It is dangerous to hope in things that ought not to be. The night he prepared to leave, I could not resist going to see him off. There, alone in the woods, I found him praying. He begged aloud for the strength to forget me. In that moment, both of our weakness became strength, and we bridged the divide between us. In the morning, the bridge was gone. I never saw him again. It did not want to. The gulf between myself and Jack's Switch was not one of class, we were not divided by culture or kin, nor did he see and reject my pregnancy. The division between us was one of morality, and it is the reason I did not bring you to Jack's attention. The cause of all our unhappiness is that your father, when I met him, was newly, faithfully, and happily married. Chapter 15 Turner could find nowhere to be alone on the train. He wanted no one to see what he felt, but the emotion was more than a feeling. The bitterness inside was manic and restless, longing to be expressed. There was only one comparable feeling, only one emotion that could demand such action. Horror. This was like horror. This was like the feeling he'd had when he'd found Dia Eve dead. The feeling of his mother leaving him all alone. He could hear the muttering as he stood. He gripped the backs of two seats to hold himself steady. "'Turner!' Faye whispered. "'Turner, where? I've got to puke,' he said. Faye pointed him to the door at their rear. Her brows furrowed. "'Don't fall off.' Turner fumbled with the latch of the door and stumbled outside. True to his word, he leaned over the wrought iron railing and retched off the side of the rear platform. He made a sound like a cat putting up a hairball. The train rumbled. Turner gripped one of the poles holding the platform's roof. It was all he could do to stand. The valley sang with winter wind, his face burned in the ice-cold air. Some mad thread of logic told Turner that the easiest thing to do in this situation would be to throw himself off the platform and trudge through the frost, running up the slopes of the mountain until he passed out and died. The door opened behind Turner. He glanced back to see Fay then hid his face. "'It's cold,' Faye said. She almost had to shout it over the rumbling of the train. Turner was silent. He'd dragged Faye all this way for nothing. He couldn't go to his father's home. What would he say? What proof would he have that he was Sophia's child? What proof did he have that he was a child of Jack's witch? The married man. And marriage was for children, wasn't it? Did Turner have brothers? Sisters? "'You should come back in,' Faye said. Turner wanted to spit in the girl's face again. He groaned. He didn't care if Fay heard him. This thing that was coming over him needed to be screamed away from his body. Once again, he had nothing. It was the third time he'd had nothing in as many days. Is it bad? Fay asked. Damned if you care, Turner hissed. He knew he was acting like a spiteful child. Some part of him wanted to. Fay was silent. Turner loved her silence. He hated that she was still standing back there, probably gawking, he looked back. Faye was leaning on the train's back railing. She looked down the valley. Frost danced in the wake of the train, making clouds to swallow the tracks behind them. Turner returned to himself. He grieved. You have nothing and no one, he told himself. He hated that he'd been born. His mother was gone away somewhere, and he was left behind, alone and broke, and on his way to a city where Faye and Hassan and his father would disappear. Jack switch probably couldn't help but even if he could he certainly wouldn't I know where your mother is Fay said I don't care Turner said she didn't tell my father Fay and he didn't ask There was a long silence as Fay considered his words and her response was slow and considered I know you still want to find her Turner kept his silence I read the hollow fortress Fay said Yes, I know it's dangerous. I also know you'll want to read it, too. It can't be any worse than what I just read. Probably not, she said. I'm sorry. Try as Turner might, he could detect no ire or derision in Fay's voice. Turner watched the tracks pass underfoot. He sighed. I'm sorry, I'm being immature. We are still children. What did you read? Tell me what you know about the written divine. Turner shrugged. We come back when we die, over and over, until one day we push back the storms that cut the world in half. Turner cleared his throat. throat) I guess the Hollow Fortress is supposed to say something different. The Hollow Fortress isn't just a book. It's a place. The Hearthfall and the impassable southern mists are both tools, and they're both controlled from this fortress somewhere in the south. Controlled by who? Turner asked. By whoever controls the fortress. Fay gestured to the horizon. That's what Smoker kept going on about. He said that there was something new at the fortress. Someone made it past the mists, and things are about to change. If someone controls the Sky Hearths, they control everything. Fay shook her head. That's the thing. Hearthfall can only take you if you want to go. Smoker said that when enough people are untethered from their land, their homes, when they have no attachments but one another... They're taken up into the clouds, transported to the Hollow Fortress. Turner spat. (laughs) I can't believe Sophia wanted to leave me. Maybe she thought you would go, too. So what? They wanted to go. Do you want to drag them back? Yes, Turner whispered. It's my mother. I can't just let her go. He pointed to the train car. She left behind her book, her spinning. The book was for you, Faye said. She had the memories. Why would she take them from you, too? She didn't look at Turner. She didn't even seem to be speaking to him, or at least not only to him. The spinning, the crops, those were never hers. Those things were for the world she left. Smoker was a liar. He killed the Diaz. Smoker lied in degree, not in kind. Fay gave Turner a pitying look. You and I are only haunting this world, I think. We're still here because we've got business here. What business? The business of our fathers. That, at last, fished Turner from his lake of self-pity. Finally he cared about something other than his predicament. Our fathers? A cold sneer passed over Fay's lips. It was not a look of derision, but one of twisted anticipation. I know you feel like killing your sire right now, Turner, but I've been planning to kill mine. The train began to slow. The door behind the pair opened and Hassan stepped out. "'Ransuai, Mansuai, I'm afraid that you are due back in your seat.' "'What's wrong?' Fay asked. "'Ransuai, darling, what is wrong is that the three of us are wanted fugitives.' Hassan leaned over the starboard railing, peering down the length of the train. "'We've been that for days,' Turner said. "'That is as may be. But what has changed, darling walrus piss-drinkers, is that the train is slowing to a halt Far ahead of schedule. Chapter 16 Turner was not the first to see the wolf. The reaction of his fellow passengers was not gasping or whispering, but silence. The whole train held its breath. This made audible the bellows-like sound from just outside the train. As the sound worked its way toward Turner, he recognized the noise as sniffing. The wolf was at the same time larger and smaller than Turner had imagined. Things like its muzzle and legs were massive, its tail and ears were short. Its snout was dipped to the ground, swinging back and forth like a broom. Its black-furred, frost-brushed legs plodded forward, slow, methodical, menacing. Uplifted and curious, the wolf's blue eyes seemed almost to belong to a different animal. Pups and dogs could play, this beast did not look like it could smile. Though kitted with armor and stirrups, the wolf had no rider. A man three rows up stood and clapped for attention. "'Do listen,' he shouted. "'If in the presence now of some lawful element, we need not worry for anything.' Turner kept himself from looking askance at Fay. "'However,' crowed the man, "'bandits have been known to rob trains since before the war. "'And if that be the case... Our only safety lies in cooperation. That depends entirely on the bandits, grumbled the fatter, older man. If these are catalysts, they'll have to kill me before they lay their hand upon a single purse. Hassan laughed. Two dozen eyes swung toward the back of the train. Monsue, Hassan said. You speak these things as though the catalysts are not the catalysts. You speak of defense as though the catalysts would incur the slightest inconvenience by your death. In this you are, Dened, incorrect. Vandalizing this car with your egg-soup brain is not an inconvenience, but rather an incentive, a privilege. They would think your fool blood the sweetest incense, and a finest feast for the eyes. I don't mean for them to have the chance, the large stranger hissed, though he could not hide the quaver in his voice. He removed a two-shot pistol from his waistcoat. They shall pay in blood for blood. Fay stood and drew her own weapon. Before the fat man could react, she had him in her sights. Pay with your own blood, if you will. I'll not have you spending ours. The fat man's eyes bulged. Peasant loving. Two firework blasts filled the air. The man's eyes bulged further, vanishing in two quick puffs of red. His body flopped and folded over the back of his seat. At first, Turner thought Fay the shooter. However, the blood had exploded toward Fay, not away from her. Fay's gun clattered to the ground, and she raised her palms to a man at the front of the train. No one had entered the railcar. The man at the front had been sitting with the others throughout the whole journey. The smoke from his gun still hadn't cleared before he pulled a red neckerchief up over his jaw and nose. Every passenger cowered. Some were unable to contain their whispers and curses. The bandit turned his gun on Fay. "'See the smart girl in the back?' he asked. "'Her hands are empty, visible.' Turner joined the rest of the car in raising his empty hands. The bandit put his hand beneath his makeshift mask and whistled. The train rocked. Turner glanced back to see the wolf resting its paws on the rear platform, its breath fogging the windows, and its eyes honed in on Turner. Turner felt something like fear, but that wasn't fear. Hope, Turner realized. I feel cautious. Hope. "'Everything on your person should be on the seat or in an open bag next to the aisle,' said the bandit. "'I won't take what I won't need. Try to hide everything and you'll be meat,' he nodded toward the wolf. The bandit watched from the front of the train as the passengers did his bidding. Turner looked to his saddlebag. Those silver plates were his lifeline. If Jack Switch either didn't want or didn't believe Turner, those silvers would be his only means of survival.' As the bandit made his cautious way down the train, he began to take items at random, stowing them in his open leather sack. "'You called me a bandit. You think that I and my partners are on the other cars stealing. You are wrong,' Turner frowned. There was something familiar about the man's voice. Turner looked back at the wolf, who was now staring at its presumed master. The bandit continued, "'If Catalyst is stealing anything, we're only stealing back. I've heard that the last car is usually the poorest, I'll have to take your word for that.' I've always been too poor to ride trains in the first place. Catalyst, that word jogged Turner's memory. The voice was the peasant man who had tried to rob them in the cave some nights ago. He spoke in the same cool detached voice as he had in the cave, as though he robbed trains and had pleasant talks in the same heart rate. Some of you, said the peasant, might even have been slaves as I was. We won't take everything. We know what it's like to have nothing. If you weren't all whimpering cowards, you'd likely ask why I'm taking anything at all. You'd ask what Catalyst thinks was stolen in the first place. You'd ask that I justify myself. The man came closer, glancing from bag to passenger to his great wolf. I ask you to remember the slave uprisings. Conningsville, Acre, Bath. All for a promise. A promise broken. When Kirish rebelled, Uluk promised freedom if we'd only rise up against our masters, if we'd only join their army in putting down the traitors. Then, the masters panicked. There's our history. Uluk working with the same men who rebelled. Uluk restructuring, renaming, and even revitalizing the institution of slavery. The bandit took the fat man's body by its collar. With near-superhuman strength, he lifted the corpse and thrusted it into the nearby window. The glass shattered, and the body toppled into the frost below. The train shifted. Turner looked back to see the black wolf gone, though he tried not to think of the reason. The bandit cleared his throat. throat. If you have a coin to your name today, you have it at our expense. We have come to collect. Then the bandit was standing right in front of Turner. He looked into the man's eyes. Those eyes were strong with purpose. An idea began to form in Turner's mind. Is this revenge or justice? Turner asked. Though the bandit's mouth was hidden, his eyes smiled. Little of both was some need would sprinkled in. Are you looking for the disappeared peasants. The bandit's eyes opened wide. How? The eyes shifted down to Turner's open bag. He gave the same chuckle he'd given in the cave. We promised you half, Turner said. Take two-thirds, as interest. He didn't mention that the original offer had been half of five, not half of three. That still leaves you a pricey silver. The bandit picked Fay's revolver off of the ground. He cocked it and turned it on Fay, And it still leaves me a tad angry. We had nothing, Fay said. You know what that feels like. I thought I recognized you, said the bandit. He shrugged. Strange. In any case, I'll take just one plate. You're sitting at the back of the back, after all, and I can't do much with half a plate. That act of charity sealed the thought that had been growing in Turner's head. You'll take more than that, Turner said. He fastened his eyes on those of the bandit, trying to imitate their strength. You're going to take me. Chapter 16 The bandit gave a thoughtful squint. Huh. With a slow hand, Turner showed the gun on his belt. He began to toe the line between embellishment and lying. I can ride, shoot, fight. There's a lot more to our lives than that. Mine too, Turner said. I was a sharecropper. Then my village disappeared in a hearthfall. We know things. We can help each other. The bandit raised his eyebrow and looked at Fay. Is he telling the truth? Fay kept her voice low, not for the bandit, but for the curious passengers. Turner, we have business in Olgrad. Like getting caught at the next station. Turner shrugged. I'm not sure anymore. This guy probably wants to find our missing people more than my father does. Tell you what, the bandit said. Let us ride you to the capital on exchange for your treasure. Maybe we can help one another, maybe not. But I'd rather speak somewhere a bit more private, Faye thought for a long moment. And how can we trust you won't kill us for dog meat? The same reason anybody trusts anybody, the bandit handed Faye her revolver. Mutually assured destruction. Run sway, darling, muttered Hassan. Think of all the things these poor outlaws will need to be selling to me. Moments later, they were outside the train, staring down the rest of the bandit crew. They were four horsemen, all hard, lean-looking men, bundled up in leather and fur. They're riding with us, said the bandit by way of introduction. He and the wolf looked like one and the same being, a centaur of unified humanity and beast. The wolf carried a bloody arm in its jaw. The rider did not seem to mind his wolf's prize. And strangely, neither did Turner. So, as the others moved to ride on the backs of horses, Turner walked carefully toward the wolf. The wolf met Turner's eye. The two looked at one another, and Turner felt the cold and the wind and the copper smell of blood drift out of his mind. Turner moved closer. The wolf only stared. "'You've got him curious,' said the wolf rider. His eyes smiled. Boy, you don't want to ride a horse, do you? My, the boy paused. He wasn't ready to talk about his father. Come on up, said the bandit. Some part of Turner knew that this bandit was trying to win him over, was trying to convert Turner from runaway peasant to catalyst bloodmate. Some part of Turner wanted to be won over. There was no part of Turner that didn't want to ride the wolf. Chapter eighteen The fact of wearing a blindfold did nothing to dull the thrill of wolf riding. If anything, the blindfold took Turner's mind off of the scenery, isolating his every thought on the concert of man and animal. Every facet of the Uluk Republic was inextricably tied up with the wolf. The great city itself had supposedly been founded by Ul the First Noble, and a faithful wolf named Luke. If Written Divine was a true book, all of the Empire's wolves were descended from that first Dreadhound, who dispatched 100 beasts sent by the God of Wilderness to crush man's first civilization. Sitting atop this monstrous, loping form, Turner could almost believe that myth. Turner had never realized how smooth the Spring Saddle could be. His reading had mentioned that beast-riding had only become feasible in the past three centuries, While horses had been bred since the dawn of time to support a human on its back, wolves and cats required more flexible spines, without which they would be no better than inefficient, mean-tempered horses. Yet, Turner's ride was somehow both smooth and wild. Two harnesses took the weight of the spring saddle off of the wolf's spine, placing the weight directly over the hips and haunches. These harnesses used springs and taut leather to lift the saddle in a way that, to Turner's stomach, felt like floating midair. Turner clung with all his strength to both the wolf and its rider. The bounds and bounces he could feel beneath the saddle were nothing compared to the wolf's sharp turns and steep climbs. You'll pardon the bumps, said the wolf rider. I like to give matches a little leeway. Turner spoke, trying not to bite his tongue or let his teeth rattle. A smoother ride puts more restrictions on the wolf. So you already know everything about wolves, I should just give you the reins. There are no reins. The wolf rider laughed. It was a joyous, unbridled sound. Uh, Well, no brakes either. The wolf's wet, billowing breaths were like a steam engine. Turner could smell and feel those breaths, and his skin was soon covered in a thin layer of slobbery mist from the wolf's lungs. At least, Turner thought, the blindfold keeps my eyes clean. Only when his teeth began to chatter did Turner realize he'd been exposing them to the cold, ill-smelling air. He was grinning like a maniac. The wolf slowed. "'You're gonna see a lot of faces at the camp,' the bandit said. "'Don't panic. We're only semi-secret, and it's not like we're afraid of you going to the Redeemers.' The wolf came to a halt. Turner breathed deep. "'Can I?' "'You can take off the blindfold. Just be careful not to stare.' Turner began working loose the blindfold's knot. Stare, he asked, at what? The blindfold fell. Turner had been led to a clearing in the middle of a dense forest. The small circle of sky between the trees was blood red. Red before night, farmer's delight, went the saying. It'll be calm in this valley. When Turner's eyes adjusted, his hand fell to his revolver as if on instinct. That's... The wolf rider outdrew Turner before he even felt the grip of his gun. Not a twitch, young Turner. Turner tried to blink away the image. The imposing figure at the center of the camp had always watched the world through half-closed eyelids, as if bored and burdened with all his wealth. His reaction to seeing Turner was no reaction at all. Diamarcus only turned his head to one side, like a curious dog. They said they ran off from your farm, said the bandit. Otherwise, I'd never have known. D. Marcus cocked his left eyebrow so slightly that Turner wondered if he'd imagined it moving. They? Turner looked to the wolf rider. The bandit responded by pressing his revolver against Turner's forehead. Turner could feel the circle of the barrel between his eyes. The bandit was a rugged-looking man, old enough to be Turner's father. He did not look to be enjoying this job. The others are coming on horseback. Turner lowered his eyes they talk on the train. It's an alliance of necessity, son, the bandit sighed. If I want my free state, I need their help. If they want their slave state, they need mine. Turner blinked in confusion. How can you have both? Easy. Two states. The bandit nodded toward Diamarcus. Besides, he's the one who knows how to find the missing. Good point, Matthew. Diamarcus cleared his throat. throat. Boy, How much do you know of the Hollow Fortress?" The sound of hoofs announced the arrival of the horsemen. Faye and Hassan still had their blindfolds on, blissfully oblivious to the danger in their midst. A shadow of a grin came over Dia Marcus's lips. Then it vanished. "'Guns up,' he whispered. "'Though to shoot is painful, so too is to be shot.' Turner moved on the wolf rider. He passed the man's barrel and carried him to the ground. "'Faye!' Turner shouted. run! He focused on pinning down the bandit's revolver. If he could just do what he'd done with Smoker. "'Turner?' Faye asked. "'What?' Something closed around Turner's left shoulder and pressed down. Fangs shot through his flesh. "'The wolf!' he thought. "'I forgot!' Turner flew. He wanted to scream but found no breath. His back thudded against the ground. He spun out of control into a thicket. The branches snapping against his skin felt like pellets from a shotgun, and he rolled up and over what must have been a hedge. He fell, though he was too much in pain to tell for how long. "'Matches!' shouted the wolf rider. "'Fetch him!' Only Turner's panic kept him conscious. He stared wide-eyed back into the hedge and tried to elbow his way back into the forest. He needed to climb a tree. The wolf couldn't get him there. But Turner heard other noises in the forest. He heard growls from deep lungs and a stampede of hooves. "'More bandits! More catalyst!' He wanted to weep. After all this, to die underfoot, trampled by mercenary beasts while his friends were captured and killed. A pair of blue eyes gleamed over the hedge. The wolf named Matches was growling through gleaming teeth the size of swords. Spit dripped from its bared gums. "'Matches!' shouted the wolf rider. "'Heal!' The wolf was gone like a gunshot. Other shouts came from the camp. "'Saints damn you! Free the horses! Hold them! Hold them at the stakes! Everywhere!' Everywhere! Turner laid his head back on the dirt and tried to breathe. His every breath came hard and hot and wheezing. He was dreaming, perhaps, or perhaps already dead. Divines, he wheezed. I died in service. Welcome me to the wind. The ground thudded beneath Turner's skull. He looked up. Hot air blew down into Turner's face from nostrils he could have stuck his fist into the nose moved up and away from turner's face and spit dripped down onto his chest from the creature's massive drooling lips move bertha shouted a familiar voice bertha it's dead turner looked up he could see the man's face beneath his smiling pale mask it was the sheriff from elaine junction kitted out in full black armor and riding a giant bear itself in black armor and mail the beast clanked as it pounded up the slope and through the hedge roaring with the force that shook the trees. Bear, Turner breathed. He made a hideous sound, a half-laughing, half-sobbing sound. Bear the... The camp was ablaze with gunfire and the clash of claws on iron. Now out from under the bears and wolves, Turner could no longer summon the dread that had been keeping him awake. Chapter 19 The Priests Had Been Right Every clergyman who'd ever visited Marcus's Grange, every subsumer who'd dug the graves, every quarryman who'd dragged his uncut boulders to the spot where saints were planted. Every one of them had spoken of souls on the wind. Unbound from human bodies, souls flew. They flew until they found a new body and a new life. Evil souls were weighed down by their sins and insolence and brought low to the ground. Bad people would die only to become dung beetles and flesh eating worms. The half decent would become poor women while decent people would become poor men. Up and up the moral ladder came gentle women, gentlemen, noble women, noble men, and finally the saints called divines, who watched over the sun and the moon and the stars, who governed the winds and summoned the harvests reigning forever and ever and growing in number until the world became perfect and without storm. Turner was flying. He was carried first by what felt like soft hands, then by what felt like a dashing steed. But Turner was worried. He felt heavy. Sure, he'd tried to save Fay and Hassan, but it was his mistakes that had doomed them in the first place. He had rebelled against his lord by entering the big house, He'd let dear Eve die. "'Darling monsue said a faraway voice. "'What fide bunghole butter you have landed me in?' Hassan, of course, mocking Turner from beyond the veil of death. "'I'm sorry.' Even Turner's ghost voice felt heavy. He began to panic. Surely he was on his way to becoming something disgusting, some thoughtless animal. "'Please,' he whispered. "'Can I at least be a wolf?' It speaks, muttered Hassan, when it should be silent. If Turner's soul was on the wind, it was a particularly bumpy wind. This wind felt like being atop a horse strapped to a rider's back like a mailbag. I'll be a good wolf, Turner whined. I'll be so good, I'll be the first wolf that jumps straight to divine once it dies. He laughed. He didn't know if Ghost Hassan liked jokes, but he was too wind-tossed to care. I swear to you, Ronsai, it is not drunk. It is delusional, nearing death, and without Ransay's help, it will soon reach its destination, Dened. Well, said a female voice, it can bleed all over someone else's table. It will not require a table, madam. Fifteen coin for your dirtiest whiskey and your cleanest, Dened. What is Uluk for dried vegetation laid on a dirt floor? Straw, said the female voice. Hmm. Make it twenty and I'll show you the corner of the barn where the pigs don't shit. Turner saw Hassan's face as though through a foggy window. Is that Fay? he asked. Does Fay know where pigs? Hassan looked down on Turner with a grim expression. Monsue, before you worry about it her, you must first worry about yourself. What about you? Turner asked. Right now, Hassan said. I'm worrying about the only thing of any value I was able to steal during the confusion," he patted Turner's shoulder. "...by which I mean you, darling." Unfortunately, Hassan had chosen to pat Turner's left shoulder, and Turner passed out once more. Chapter 20 The warmth of alcohol in his wounds made Turner grit his teeth. sotted Islander," he hissed. "...that hurts!" "...Darling Turner," Hassan replied. Do not curse me for my trouble and wake the pigs. If you do, I will pat your shoulder and make you dream. How could I sleep with this pain? Turner looked around the dark barn. He could hear pigs breathing in the dark, but their two small candles only offered glimpses of the opposite corners and lofts. Hassan shrugged. Have you ever had whiskey? No, Sophia said. She said drinking spirits while growing up would make me weak-minded. But that is exactly the point. Hassan poured a finger of whiskey into a wooden bowl. Drink. It is not as if you would become more damaged. The wolf's teeth had gotten only as far as Turner's muscle. No bones were broken, and his lungs didn't seem to be punctured. Turner figured that if he was going to die, he would have done it already. He was so desperate for any sort of nourishment that he opened his mouth to the foul-smelling liquid. It was all he could do not to spit it up. It tastes like paint, he muttered. No. No. Hassan said. This is more like paint remover, but you're right. The best way to get you drunk is by pouring the whiskey directly into your blood, which I have done for you. Isn't there anything else for pain? There is a substance called nitrous oxide. Those who inhale it cannot feel pain. It has been used on every expedition into the petricide gases of the southern hemisphere to keep the explorers from killing themselves. That sounds amazing, Turner said. You do not want to inhale nitrous oxide. It makes one laxe, like, crazy. Turner stared down at his bite marks. They no longer bled. Are you going to cauterize the wounds? That does not work. I already tied up Monse's blood tubes while Monse was asleep. You can do that? It is similar to the boot lacing method by which I will close the skin. Hassan held up a reel of fishing line. A sharp hook glittered at its end. If you do not curse as I work, I will tell you all that I know of what happened. Hassan scorched the hook over one of the candles. His eyeglasses held the reflection of the burning flame. Turner looked away and clenched his jaw. From your delusional ranting, I gathered that the man leading the catalysts was Dia Marcus, your wealthy landlord. Why these rebels would work with the landlord, I cannot guess. but. Your predicament with the cascade, the uh, uh, hearthfall, along with its accompanying disappearances. Perhaps the strange situation makes for strange sirs and madams, no? Perhaps. Brace, as I am about to thread you." Hassan made the first prick with his hook. Turner was surprised at how little it hurt. He looked down to see Hassan drawing the fishing line through Turner's skin. Perhaps I hurt too much to hurt, Turner thought. It really does look like lacing up a boot, Turner noted. With your pig-leather skin, it is almost identical. Hassan cleared his throat. I doubt that either the Catalysts or the Amarcus are being entirely honest with one another. Perhaps Marcus even led the Redeemers to the Catalyst camp, I cannot be sure. What I am sure of is that both your landlord and the Catalysts are interested in finding out to where the sharecroppers are escaping and how. So why didn't you work with them? Turner asked. Because, darling, those burnt blood pissers seem to have a propensity for betrayal. And why save me? Turner asked. Why not steal treasure? Hassan sighed. He pondered his stitching for a moment while he considered his answer. Have I ever explained to you why he and she have different meanings in my country than they do in yours? What's that got to do with the price of swordfish? Eh? Idiom. Never mind. Hassan tied up the stitching on one of the wounds, cut the line with his teeth, and started on the next stitch. Hassan Kur is not considered a he in its country. The masculine and feminine pronouns are only used when the person is married. The difference between a man and a woman is considered irrelevant until the two are bonded legally in the eyes of our god. Seems cruel. Not at all. Family is like... like this fishing line," Hassan pulled tight on another stitch. When I was in prison, what good did my money do me? None at all. Do you know what it was that saved me? Relationships. Interdependence. I had a friend in Fay, no matter how much she might claim otherwise, and it was that, not platter-selling, that prompted my jailbreak. Turner thought of his own mother. He wondered what would have happened if she'd told Jack Switch about their child. Perhaps it would have drawn the two together. Even so, Hassan said, Faye only had the courage and strength to free me because she also had a friend in you. We're not Turner closed his eyes. We're not exactly friends. What feed donkey testes is this? As the whiskey addled Monse's mind already? We're not not really. Perhaps friend is not the word Tesseret, perhaps What's that? Ki non acte non vede Tesseret can neither be bought nor sold. That is its value. You tried to save her and it's earned you a wolf wound. Her? Hassan looked up from his work and into Turner's eyes. Come now Come now what? Hassan shrugged and returned to his work. "'All the talk of family aside, I know that your father is in Efraktos. He will provide me with a small reward, with which I can make a new start in Ulgrad.' Turner shook his head. "'My father doesn't even know I exist.' "'Then I will provide him with a son that is brand new.' Hassan's grin shone in the candlelight. "'Battered in transit, perhaps, but more noble than your dear landlord. There, done. Hassan bit off another stretch of fishing line. He raised one of the candles and began to burn the loose stitch ends down toward the skin. "'What will you do when you find this new father?' Turner shrugged and flexed his shoulder. Though usable and flexible, it hurt terribly. "'I'll just tell him the truth,' Turner said. "'And I'll hope he's as noble as you.' Hassan laughed so loudly that it woke a few of the pigs. Your mother was right about the whiskey, mon say, werewolf. Werewolf? Another time. We must let the pigs sleep. Okay, the end of part two. There will be parts three and four coming out tomorrow and the day after. So if you like this, go ahead and like, share, subscribe. And uh, yeah, go to the comments section of whatever thing you're on right now, like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever you're on. I'm there. And uh I'd love to hear from you. Just if you are having a positive experience, if you are not and you want to have a more positive experience by making me do what you want me to do, man, I'm here for that because literally it's better than nothing. So do that, please. All right. Tune in tomorrow and the next day. It's gonna be fun. We got a whole half of a book left. It's good.